Good morning and welcome from wherever you are to Orchard Hill Church. I want to join with Jeff in just giving my hearty greetings this morning and for all of you who usually are here worshiping with us, I just want to say how much I miss you. I miss your faces, I miss your voices, even those that aren't very good. I just miss being together as a community. My name's Alice Shirey, and I am on staff here at Orchard Hill Church. I am going to continue in this third week of our four-week series called Powerful Prayers. And you know, I used to think prayer was really hard work, and that the harder I worked, maybe the more God would listen. I used to think that prayer had tricks and that God only listened to certain kinds of prayers and certain kinds of people's prayers and that I was not one of those people. I used to have all kinds of helpful acronyms, like little um, word plays that I would follow to help me pray and for a while they were super beneficial and then they became a hurdle. And I found it was hard to stop them, though, because those acronyms themselves had come to feel holy. I once got a huge notebook. I was following somebody's process I read about. This huge notebook, and it had all these different tabs behind which I was supposed to write Bible verses, prayer requests, impressions, answers to prayer. And I just about drown in all the paperwork. If you know me, you know I'm not a very organized person, so eventually I just recycled the notebook. I used to keep track of my prayers like I keep track of grocery lists. Things got checked off once they were resolved to my liking. And for a season, this was really helpful to me. Sometimes I still do it, but I go back now, I'm looking through an old book or an old journal, and one of these will occasionally fall out onto the floor, and I look at all the different people I prayed for, and I smile, but my prayers aren't usually like that anymore, and I'm learning that that's okay. I used to feel guilty, guilty, guilty about my prayer life. I used to feel like a huge failure at prayer, what Dave called a prayer wimp. But you know what? I don't anymore. I don't feel that way. And I want to share a few things with you that have saved me from that feeling of failure. The first of, first of the three things that have saved me is life, just simply living life. I've lived long enough now to let go of the shoulds. You know those shoulds? You should pray like this. You should pray at this time. You should pray this amount of minutes. Shoulds just used to drive me. And now I notice them when they come into my head. And I just pat them on the head and ignore them like naughty neighbor kids. And life has led me to understand that it is okay. In fact, it's probably more than okay to have way more questions than answers about prayer. I have questions like, how does prayer work? Does prayer change God's mind? Why should I pray if God is sovereign and already knows what will happen? What is the best way to pray? Is there a best way? 
can groaning to God about a sick friend be prayer? Can griping about another load of laundry be prayer? What about a sense of joy in my spirit as I watch geese rise up strong from a pond or watch my dog jump from a dock into a still lake to fetch a duck? Are those things prayer? What about sitting in my office at home, candles lit, reading the Psalms? If I use somebody else's words to guide me, is that prayer? What about sitting in silence with tears running down my cheeks because I'm just so sad about the world? Does that count? What does it mean when I pray and pray and pray and pray about something and nothing happens? Or a friend still dies, or a loved one still loses their job, or the biopsy is positive. What then? Was all that prayer just a waste of time? Is waiting prayer? Is speaking prayer? Is silence prayer? I have come to love the questions almost more than the answers. And I've just simply decided in my life, frankly because I have no other option, to just be okay with mystery. At the same time, I know that Jesus prayed and there was something beautifully concrete about his prayers. Prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of healing, Prayers of desperation, prayers that brought life out of death, that brought hope out of hopelessness, that brought safety out of fear. And I know that Jesus calls us to pray, and so I keep at it, but with way more gentleness and compassion toward myself than I used to have. There is a lightness about my efforts at prayer now. Because as Dave Bartlett said a couple weeks ago in his teaching, the power of prayer is in God, not me. So the first thing that helped me become less guilty and worried about my prayer life is simply life. And the second thing that has helped me with prayer is reading some of the things that other people have written about prayer. So the first one is this. Uh, uh, Ole Hallisby said this. You've probably heard me, if you've heard me teach before, talk about this. Prayer is simply helplessness combined with a mustard seed of faith. I read that and I think, you know what? I get that. I can do that. Helpless? Yes. The tiniest mustard seed of faith? Most days. Okay, doing well. Second bit of writing that has really helped me is this statement by John Coe. He's a professor um, at a seminary out in California. He said this, prayer is not the place to be good. It is the place to be honest. And you who know me know that I am nothing if not brutally honest, especially about myself. And this has freed me up so much in prayer. Just go to God with what's real and true about myself. I don't have to put on my Sunday clothes. Next, 
this, this bit of writing by a man named Brennan Manning who said, there are no bad prayers. He went on to say that God receives our prayers like a parent receives a toddler's painting with great love and tender acceptance of our limitations. I want you to know I have kept almost all of my children's bad but oh-so-precious childhood art. It is like Picasso to me. And so if God receives my prayers like I received my children's art back in the day, I'm doing pretty well. And the last is a German uh, man named Meister Eckhart who said, if the only prayer you ever pray is thank you, that will be enough. And I don't know about you, but some days my prayers are just this, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So life, some wise writing from other people, but... Uh, the very most important, powerful thing that has helped me in prayer are Jesus' own words. So he talks a lot about prayer in, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. This is one of the things that Jesus said. He said, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, like people who don't, don't really know God, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. We don't have to use a lot of words. Sometimes we don't have to use words at all. God already knows. Second uh, bit of writing and, and speaking of Jesus that has helped me so much is from a parable found in Luke chapter 18. You can go home and read it or stay at home, I guess, and read it. It's the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee where Jesus tells of two different men who go into the temple and pray. One is this super religious guy, and he goes in and he offers this lovely, religious-sounding prayer about how grateful he is that he's not like all the riffraff out there and that he's such a great religious person. And another man, a tax collector, a sinner, a messed-up guy, walks in and simply bows his head and says, God, have mercy on and Jesus said, you know what? The prayer of that broken, sinful man is far better than this religious guy's nonsense. That has helped me a lot. The simple, humblest prayers are good enough. Then back to Matthew. Again, Jesus said, he likes to talk a lot about prayer, so you should read his, his stuff because it really is so helpful. He says, and when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, is there more? But when you pray, that's right, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Prayer is not a thing. This was so helpful to me because I used to think the better you were at praying, the more God would hear you. And so I finally just realized prayer is not a thing that you get to show off. It's something that you don't get graded on, you don't get judged on. It's just this beautiful thing between you and the God who loves you so much. 
And then the last thing uh, that Jesus said that has really helped me is simply this, John 10, verse 27. My sheep, the people I watch over, listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Prayer is simply about recognizing the voice of Jesus and having him recognize mine. Jesus has freed me up so much in prayer. Be honest, be humble, be brief, and trust that I hear your voice. So helpful. And so you know what? Now I don't even really have a prayer life. I just have a life. Prayer, according to this beautiful American monk named David Steindelrast, is this, it's simply waking up to the presence of God no matter where I am or what I'm doing. In fact, Brother David says that even biting into a tomato can be a kind of prayer. Isn't that beautiful? Gardeners, don't you know this is true? A perfectly ripe tomato, freshly warm off the vine in the middle of late July, or placed on a piece of crisp toast, along with a salty piece of bacon and some cold iceberg lettuce. Um, yes, please. Thank you, Jesus. That, eating a BLT, can be a prayer. You see, prayer is just a part of my life now. I mention things to God all the live long day. I think about things in God's presence. I ask for his help. I say, wow, God, thank you for this or that or the other thing. I ask God really hard questions. And yes, I set aside specific times to pray too, times that are specific and holy and quiet and away in my prayer room because I need times like that, like I need to breathe. But I don't need to go searching for God somewhere like he's been lost. God is with me. God is with you. In fact, God is in me. The New Testament writers drop this little truth all over their writings in the scriptures. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the spirit of God who is in you. See, you and I don't need to go wandering to find God. God is as close as my next breath. He knows what you need before you ask. Jesus himself prays for us. God interprets my groans. Jesus intercedes on your behalf. If we need something, all we have to do is ask and then trust that as soon as we speak, God hears. I don't know about you, but it has been really hard for me to pray during this time of coronavirus. My brain uh, spends too much time scavenging around for information and updates. And I've been unsettled. And I wonder, I wonder if any of you have experienced that as well. It took me several weeks, but, but I eventually settled into this weird time in human history and, and I simply started to lift my concerns up to God as the days played out and out and out. Sometimes I just collapsed 
with God when it got too much, or I rested or took a nap in God's good and kind presence. I prayed for so many of you. I prayed my confusion, my concerns, my questions. But I struggled, and I just want to say to all of you, if you've struggled at all with prayer over these last few months, shoot, if you've ever struggled with prayer, if you're struggling now, it is okay. It is okay. It is okay. Prayer is powerful, not because of you, but because of God. I love quoting Dave Bartlett, by the way. So I want to talk, in the little bit of time I have left this morning, about what I believe is the most neglected part of prayer, and that's listening. Listening. We worship, we, we follow, we are to be in relationship with a communicating, speaking God. From the, from the very beginning of creation, the very first sentences of the Bible to the very end, we read of, we witness a God whose very nature it is to speak, to communicate. And yet too many of us talk at God, but we rarely expect him to communicate back to us, you know? But if you think about it, who likes to be jabbered at all the time? Answer, nobody. Nobody likes it. And I bet God doesn't like it either. But some of us act like all God wants from us is our words. <clears throat> I mean, maybe we tried to listen for God's voice once or twice, you know, perhaps when we were faced with a big decision or crisis, and when God didn't speak back to us right away, like, pick door number one, we just gave up, and we got busy or bored, and many of us have secretly decided, we don't let people know this, but we know it, you know what, God just doesn't speak to me, so I'm not even going to try. But God does speak. God is always speaking. It is God's nature to speak. And so the question is, am I listening? Are you listening? That's the question. There's a story from the Old Testament. It's found in the book of 1 Samuel. Chapter 3, again, you can stay at home today and read it. It's going to rain, so what else do you have to do? Uh, it's a story about a 12-year-old boy named Samuel who, go, who grows up to be a great man of God. And, and Samuel, when he was 12, was living in the Jewish temple, and he was learning the ropes of how to be a priest from this old, almost blind, kind of chubby priest. It's in the scriptures, that's why I say it. Uh, whose name was Eli. And the story that I'm going to talk about just briefly takes place at night, and uh, Samuel is going to sleep in his own space, and Eli's uh, trying to fall asleep in his space, and Samuel hears a voice, and he assumes it's Eli. So he goes, he goes into Eli's room, and he says, you called me? And Eli says, I didn't call. You go back to bed. 
And so Samuel goes back to bed, and they both try to fall back asleep. And one more time, Eli hears a voice. And so he wakes up and goes into Samuel and says, you called me. And I'm sure Samuel now is thinking, this is why I don't want to have kids in the temple. But uh, he says, no, it's not me. Go back to sleep. Samuel comes a third time. Or Eli, or Samuel comes a third time to Eli. Sorry, I get the names mixed up. And then this is what happened. And the Lord, oh, wait a minute, hold this. Keep it right here. And Eli says, it must be God that's speaking, not me. So go back and lay down. And I want you to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so then we'll pick up the story right here, Samuel 3, 1 Samuel 3.10. So Samuel went back and laid down, and the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel did what Eli said, and Samuel replied, speak, your servant is listening. Speak, your servant is listening. So let's unpack that phrase. The phrase that actually Eli told him to say was, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. But Samuel's 12, so he probably forgot the Lord part. But let's just break this prayer down for ourselves, because I think Eli has something to teach us to. The first thing that Samuel was to say to the Lord was simply the word, speak. Speak. Have you ever thought about how audacious and full of faith this request is? A human being saying to the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of everything, speak to me. Communicate with me. Please make your powerful self understandable to my tiny mind. Help me hear you. It's audacious to say that to God. But I'm learning that prayer is way less about what I say and way more about what God says to me. I don't know about you, but what I need in my life is not more of my words, but way more of God's. Not more of my thoughts, crazy town that they are, but way more of God's. Speak, this little 12-year-old boy said to the God of all creation, speak. Let's look at the next four words. Speak, Lord, for your servant. This next phrase, this next part of the phrase that Eli told Samuel to say to God tells Samuel that he doesn't get to call the shots. Eli told him to call God Lord and to ask as God's servant. When we say to God, speak, the next thing out of our mouth should be Lord for your servant. You see, because to hear God and to know God, we must allow God to speak on God's own terms. This is so important. We don't approach God with demands. We approach God 
as Lord of heaven and Lord of the earth and Lord of our own little lives. We approach God and we acknowledge that he is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the one who is and was and is to come. We approach God expecting to be disrupted, to be surprised, to be corrected, to be convicted even, to be spoken to by the one whose ways are not our ways. It's why as little kids we were often taught to bow our heads. There's something to be said there. The psalmist says in Psalm 25 verse 9, God guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Humility means if I'm going to ask God to speak, God will speak on his own time and in his own way. And it is not my job to mandate when or where or how. My only job is to ask, Lord, what do you want to say to me? I am your servant. And then my job is to keep my ears open. Look at the final part of this prayer. Speak, Lord, for your servant is what? Talking? No. Your servant is listening. You see, there is no place, no circumstance, no moment of your life into which God can't speak. When you wake up, as you interact with people in the morning, even before you drink your coffee, God can speak to you. At work or at play, in prayer, in the scriptures, at church, whatever church looks like for you these days, as we worship, yes, God can speak to us, but you know what? God can also speak to us on our walk in the green belt or at Hartman or George Wythe or Big Woods Lake. God can speak to us when we watch the news or see a sunset or catch a fish or when we hear our neighbors shout at their kids or when our favorite pet settles on our laps. And when this happens, maybe we're reminded of a, of a verse from scripture or we sense a prompting deep in our spirits or we see a picture of something in our minds or we feel a voice kind of, kind of in, the, in the ears of our soul whispering to us the voice of God. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. But when we listen for that voice, we must listen through a Jesus filter because the voice of God will always sound like the voice of Jesus. When you hear the voice of God, this is really important to understand too, it will never come attached to shame. The voice of God will never come to you attached to shame. Even when the message is hard, 
the heart behind it, the spirit around it will be gentle. One of love and tenderness, always. So if you feel shame, not conviction, because sometimes we will feel conviction, but if you feel shame, it is not God's voice you are hearing. God's voice will never come disguised as hate for another human being or bitterness or envy or spite or selfishness. So don't be confused. The voice of God will always sound and feel like Jesus. So you want to learn to recognize it? You want to learn to be a good listener? Read the Gospels. Get to know Jesus. Start to understand what he cared about, who he spoke to, what his voice sounded like. And then my challenge to you is to practice whispering this most audacious prayer. Practice speaking it in the morning. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then stay awake. Open your ears and your eyes and your heart. Look around. Pay attention. The world is full of the voice of God. And one of the many lessons I'm learning from this season of this pandemic is that I crave more silence. I crave less hurry, more listening in my life. And when we go back to normal, I don't want to lose those things. Because when I die, I don't want to hear Jesus' voice and wonder who in the world is calling my name. I want to know his voice. I want to recognize it. I want to hear him whisper, Alice, you're finally home. And I want to say, hey, I know you. Don't you? Let's pray. God, would you help us all to become better listeners, not just talkers? Amen.